Stonehenge into the Light Part 3 of 5 The Craft Hello, I'm Mark Zaretti and this is the audiobook version of this feature-length spiritual documentary. We jump forwards in time now to the 13th of December 2022 where you join me at my editing desk in Kent. Hi, I hope you didn't mind me pausing the documentary at this point. It's been several weeks since I did this filming and I've been spending this time editing the documentary and I realised that some of the things I'm describing are perhaps quite difficult to visualise and that 3D models would help, for example, of Stonehenge. You've already seen some of these models in the documentary and there are many more to come. But there's something I wanted to explain. It's quite important. I couldn't really do so at the beginning but now that you've got more context, now that you understand that there are higher dimensions and that there are beings on higher dimensions, then what I'm going to share with you now will make more sense. And what, I, what it is, is I want to go into more detail about how it is I actually get the information. But importantly as well, I'd like to give you more of an insight into the process. When I was about seven years old, I started meditating and it was all done naturally and intuitively. In fact, I didn't even know the word meditation. I was just closing my eyes and going inside. By about the age of 12, I'd had some pretty profound realizations and experiences on the inside. And after many, literally thousands and thousands of hours of meditation and dedication, by 2009, I attained a state which many people refer to as enlightenment. Now the word enlightenment is often used and it means different things to different people. So let me explain a little bit more about what I mean when I say enlightenment. In that final meditation, my consciousness transcended all limits, going beyond the bounds of time and space and vibration, to that great oneness if you like. And my spirit, again, transcended the boundaries of everything and returned to the source. Now this physical body and all that you see is no different than it was before that. It's a vehicle for what happens down here. But it means that from that point, on, when I go on the inside, I'm able to have awareness that transcends time, transcends space. And for most people, that realisation of enlightenment, because I'm not the first to do this, that realisation is considered the end of the journey, but one of the things I understood at that moment was that this was the beginning for me. And so I continued exploring and learning how to go into that greater state. And because it is beyond time and beyond boundaries and limitations, then anything that has ever happened, anything that has ever been known, any event that has ever occurred, is within that greater state of being and as such after many many more years I learned that I could go inside and get information about what has happened in the past because from that greater state which is beyond time there is no such thing as the past and so all knowledge is effectively there and what I was learning was how to access it. Now when I first started doing this I encountered beings on higher dimensions and just as down here in, on the third dimension, some people are good, some people are not so good. I soon realised that it was the same on higher dimensions as well. And some of them tried to mislead me and give me false information, but I soon realised that was happening. And because of this vast estate, which they don't have, 
I was able to go beyond that limit that they presented and to know the truth. And so though in the beginning I could interact with these higher beings and get information from them, some good serving the light and some trying to mislead me, I soon realised that I didn't need to and I could go beyond even the limits that they knew and know whatever it was that needed to be known. But it was in discovering these beings on higher dimensions and realising that not all were good that I came across the leader and in time discovered the information about his druids, information that he did not wish me to know. But having access to knowledge is not the same as knowing how to access it. And so the skill that I have learned over many more years is how to have that inquiry. So this gives you a little bit more of a context and awareness of how it is that I'm able to get information, even if it is ancient and even if it is hidden. But as I've alluded to, the real skill is in accessing it. All this information is like a vast, almost endless puzzle. Each fragment of information is a puzzle piece. You don't simply get all of the knowledge if you want to know something. The skill is in knowing how to pursue it. And so you start with an inquiry and that brings forth a fragment of information. And then with experience, I've learned how to follow the thread. That piece leads to that piece leads to that piece. And eventually a bigger picture starts to emerge. But the information is neutral, it's just there. And so it's the pursuit of truth that matters because truth and light go hand in hand and it is through pursuing truth that light is shed upon the information to bring it to light. And sometimes I've been guided by those who serve the light on higher dimensions, who've brought certain bits of information to my attention so that I can look into it further. Over the course of many years of doing this, I've gathered a mass of information and it's this bigger picture putting together all these puzzle pieces that are in the books, as well as the describing the process and the unfolding realizations that have led to this. And the documentary that we're looking at here is but a small fragment of this bigger picture. So bringing it back to this documentary, when I decided that I was gonna make these 3D models, at that point we knew that there were craft that could travel between dimensions and so in order to make the models I needed to know what they looked like, how many crew were in them, how they were powered and all of these things. Because truth matters and I wish to represent the truth as accurately as possible, when I realised having already filmed much that I needed to go inside and bring more information down it brought up a lot more about the craft. And so what I'd like to invite you to join me in is we're going to pause this video here and jump forwards in time. Tomorrow I'm going to return to Stonehenge so that I can share this new information that has come about through the process of making these 3D models about the craft and how they looked and how they functioned in much more detail. And then we'll return to where we are now. back at what is quite a sunny day at Stonehenge and there it is it's about minus two today so there's a few people less than last time we were here but I've come back 
because as I explained, since I did the last bit of filming, we found out even more information and that draws our attention to the stones, which by now we understand to be an interdimensional spaceport, like an airport really. As you could hear, it was an extremely windy day and it was just not possible to carry on filming. I'd have to wait till the following day. So I made use of the time in the van to do some more editing of this documentary. Good morning. Well, another sunny day. It was about, <laughs> let them go past. It was about minus eight, minus nine last night. But it's a gorgeous sunny day. So I think it's time to walk the dog and then we're gonna do some filming. Are you ready? Come on then, to me. Let's go. There you go. Yeah, come here. Wanna go for walkies? Okay. I'm back here to talk specifically about the craft, so let's recap what we understand so far. Well, it's never a dull moment, it seems, at Stonehenge. We're just going to head off now. The police have just come along. They're closing this road and asking everyone to move. Okay, so here we are yet again, back at Stonehenge. We had to move location because the police and the council came and closed the entire site. It was a public road, but they shut it down because in a few, well, literally in a week is the winter solstice and they're expecting a lot of people to turn up there so they've decided to close that road altogether which is fair enough. Now we're here specifically to focus on the, the craft. Let's first recap what we know so far. It creates a vortex so it's got a vortex generator and that allows it to shift in vibration and it also has the need for very dark and ungodly energy and that's what is used to power it. So let's take a closer look. I mean, imagine what would it look like if it was here right now today coming out in the actual Stonehenge as it is today. It's certainly very golden, that's the first thing you notice. Now with the craft above us, the first thing that really stands out is underneath it there appear to be six thruster-like objects. This is how the craft was 9000 BC, 11,000 years ago. Since then there's been a lot of other types of craft and some have more thrusters, some have less. But this is actually how these, these original craft were with six. But there's nothing significant about that number in this particular case. It's just the way that these craft were built. We'll talk some more about the thrusters in a bit. Now if the craft were to drop down and lean towards us slightly, then we'd be able to see, as you can see now, that there is a domed windscreen across the top. And that too has a golden tint to it. And we can start to make out within it, there is an orb at the top of the windscreen, dead central to the craft, and there is also an orb within the centre of the craft. And these are two of the key features that I wanted to discuss with you in more detail. But first, why is it that the craft 
and the windscreen are golden. Well, the windscreen is actually impregnated with golden particles all the way throughout its surface. The craft itself is also coated in gold. Now, in the book, I talk a lot more about the material and spiritual significance of gold and its role in the bigger picture. Suffice to say at this stage that the use of gold in this craft is not positive. It is something quite nefarious. And there is no coincidence either that, if you remember back to when the leader was introduced, the leader was shown wearing a gold cloak. Gold is used a lot by the ungodly. But let's go back to the spheres that we could see. Let's, let's take a closer look. In the centre of this craft, if we zoom right in, we will see the actual vortex generator. Now this is encased in a dodecahedron containment system. And this is made out of a, a very complex metal alloy, which has a single leg attached to the base of the craft. In each of the node points of this dodecahedron is a field emitter, and these create a spherical field to contain the vortex emitter. The vortex emitter itself is that very bright centre, it's called the emitter core, and that's at the very centre. And you'll notice that rotating around it are two spheres, but they are incomplete and they are made of almost square sheets of a very metallic alloy, and they are rotating in different directions to each other and the gaps in these spheres allow the operators of the craft to regulate the vortex by allowing more or less of the energy to emanate from this core. So that whole system is effectively a containment and regulation system for the vortex emitter which is the bright core at the centre. And it's from this centre that the vortex is emitted outwards. And as you can see, it arches up, round and comes back in. And if you were to look at it from above, it would seem almost like a toroid. And though a toroid has a hole in the centre, the way this field works is the entire craft, including the centre bit, is encased in almost like the silhouette of the field. So although it comes back in, it loops round again and creates this overall containment field and everything within this field is shifted in vibration including the field emitter the craft the personnel within when the vortex is activated either shifting it up or shifting it down now shifting in vibration is one thing and say the craft was on a higher dimension and they shifted in vibration they would have changed vibration, but they would still be stuck on that higher dimension. So this craft is nothing without its propulsion system. And so we draw our attention to the orb at the top, the one that's in the windshield. Now I'd like to be able to tell you what it's called, but the interesting phenomena about how information comes down is that you don't necessarily get the names of things rather you get the nature of them so i understand what it is i understand how it works but it is a completely different kind of inquiry to be able to get the label or the name that someone else would have used for it in the past so for this purpose we'll simply call it the gravity drive and what that orb is doing is it's creating just above the craft a gravity well. 
which we can now see. Now you wouldn't normally see the gravity well because it's a distortion in the fabric of space. It wouldn't necessarily be visible to your eye, but you can see it there. And the way it works is this gravity well is like a, you could think of it like a black hole. It's not a black hole, but that's probably the easiest way to understand it. Because it's above the craft, the craft falls upwards into the gravity well. But because the well is being emitted by the craft, then as the craft falls upwards, the well moves as well. And so they keep sync with each other and the craft rises. And they can change the angle that this gravity well is projected at so that they can go upwards and forwards or backwards or sideways in any direction. And if they want to descend, they simply weaken the gravity well and there is less falling upwards and they then are influenced by the gravity of the environment they are in and they fall down. Now when we talk about gravity, the phenomena of gravity certainly does exist. If you were to sit under a tree and an apple fell out, it would hit you on the head. But the theories and explanations of gravity that we have at this time differ from how these ancient and far more technically advanced races would understand gravity. First of all, they understand the multidimensional nature of the fabric of creation. They're not just looking at everything in terms of the physical plane. And they understand that what gravity is, is density. Now we can use the word density in two contexts. There's the density of matter around us. And this is why, for example, a fish will float in water because it is less dense. A submarine can rise or sink in the water by changing its density, by filling its ballast tanks with water or purging them of water. And so by changing the density of an object, it can rise or fall in water. That's also from a higher perspective why we land on the ground and why Stonehenge stays on the ground, because it's at the same density as the ground. If you took the stones up into the air, they would be much denser than the air and they would fall towards the more dense part of creation. And it's the same on all dimensions. So gravity does exist, but it's perceived as density, not some kind of weak, hard to prove, attractive force. It simply is that when the craft creates this gravity well above it, it's creating a denser place than the surrounding. And the craft being dense will attract to that density. It falls into it. So this gravity engine is the main propulsion system of the craft. And it's capable of allowing the craft to traverse the entire diameter of the physical plane in minutes. But what it's not very good at is finesse. This is a brute force drive. And if you were to rely on this gravity well, this attachment, if you like, to a, a gravity field and try and land, you'd probably crash. And historically, there are some examples of things going wrong. To try and imagine why that would be, if you had a very heavy weight on the end of a bungee cord and you were swinging that bungee cord around, your hand would be the gravity well. And wherever you swing it, the heavy weight would be the craft. And it would be fine for making it move rapidly. And then the, the elastic nature of the bungee cord would cause the craft to overcompensate. And so when you watch these craft, they're always 
in a state of movement because they're constantly falling into a gravity well and having to make adjustments. If they want to stay in one place, then they have to fall and then ease off the strength of the well to drop back. And so they can't easily stay in one place. And so maneuvering down to land the craft on the ground just isn't possible. You'd end up crashing, as has happened. And so they devised the system of thrusters. And the thruster's job is primarily to decelerate as they come into land and control the fine movements to gently land the craft and then to take the craft off before the gravity well takes over and they rapidly move away. When we talk about thrusters, like me, you're probably thinking, was it solid fuel, or, um, liquid fuel, some kind of maybe electric drive or something? When I did the work to go inside and bring down the knowledge of how the thrusters worked. I've got to be honest, this was something that really surprised me, <laughs> and not in a good way either. The first thing to consider or to understand is that energy on a much higher dimension, as I've said, should not be down here. And when it does come down here, it's much stronger. It's, it's, it's like it's potentized by coming down here. The second thing to understand is that emotions, and you may be wondering where I'm going with this, stick with me, emotions, are fundamentally a basic thought. Not an intellectual thought, but a basic thought. And that thought would be, for example, I like, in which case there's a, a lot of positive feelings and emotion about attraction towards something. Or you might have the emotion of I dislike, in which case there's a repulsion, a sense of wanting to move away from something. And all emotions are fundamentally a thought with energy. Negative emotions like anger or hate tend to have negative energy and positive emotions tend to have positive energy. But what they realised a long time ago is if they made some really, really evil, dark energy, something that should not exist, and they made it on a really high dimension and then brought it down to this dimension, it would become a powerful force. And then if they used it as emotional energy, then the thought within that emotion, for example, repulsion, would direct the energy because energy alone doesn't act. It needs a thought to compel it, if you like. And so what these thrusters are, those balls that we see, are actually balls of highly disgusting, evil, dark energy, compressed. And within each one, they've been imbued with a abject thought of core basic repulsion. And so as the craft is coming in, the pilot can manipulate the amount of that emotional energy to cause repulsion. And so it's these drives pushing against their environment, literally the energy and the thought of repulsion from higher dimensions having a massive effect on the third dimension to effectively hold up this craft and allow it to be gently lowered to the ground. You could say it's pure genius, but it's also pure evil and darkness. And so, if this sounds crazy, I assure you, you've probably already heard of this very principle. See, any time a picture falls off a wall or an object flies across a room or a door slams, in what people quite often term poltergeist activity, or when there's a presence in a house. That's psychokinesis. It's an emotional outburst causing movement of physical matter. That's what psychokinesis means. And these 
thrusters are actually psychokinetic thrusters. They're using a bonable energy with a really intense negative emotion to thrust against the environment, literally repulsing everything around them. And if you were here with me right now, in close vicinity to this craft, you would probably experience a coppery, almost acidic taste on your tongue. And you might even feel a tingling in your, in, in your crown chakra, in the back of your head. Some people might even notice a, a very unpleasant, pungent smell. And what this is, is the negative energy coming off that craft is being sensed. Because it's not a chemical, it's an emotion. It's picked up by your aura and your system is trying to make sense of it. And it literally, if you're in the vicinity of something like this, the negativity coming off it will be experienced by you as taste or smell or sensations that are all letting you know this is really unpleasant, you need to move away. So with its psychokinetic thrusters and its anti-gravity system using a gravity well and a gravity drive and its interdimensional vortex generator, this craft is able to move between dimensions to manipulate itself and manoeuvre itself on the physical plane as well as on higher planes and to move at phenomenal speeds. And it's understandable knowing all of this, especially if you're scientifically minded, that you'd be wondering if this could be replicated. And certainly in cutting edge fields right now, some of the technology that's involved in this craft is being explored. It might not be in reference to making an interdimensional craft, but people are already looking at wormholes, quantum tunneling, quantum computing, particle accelerators and all of these things. And by the way, I appreciate this is totally often well intended. And then in the fringe fields, people are looking at free energy devices, trying to tap into the mysterious black matter or antimatter that makes up the bulk of the cosmos. Or trying to create zero points to draw down or manifest energy. With the understanding of the multidimensional nature of creation, I can tell you, all of these activities, no matter how positive the intentions behind them are, no matter how good the people doing the research are, I'm not questioning their goodness or their, their motivation, but all of these scientific endeavors are fundamentally ungodly because what they are doing is they are disturbing, breaking or distorting the fabric of creation, the dimensional fabric, to bring energy down that should not be here, or to create energy that should not exist. And this is exactly what these dark and evil beings figured out literally 18,000 years ago at Atlantis. And they've been refining it ever since. And whether it is that we are being manipulated as a society to bring these technologies to the third dimension at this time, or whether we're getting there by our own scientific prowess is irrelevant. What we are discovering is ancient and it should not exist. And on higher dimensions, I can tell you this much, those that serve the light do not use technology. There is no such thing as good technology. Craft are not meant to manipulate their environment and travel between dimensions. And that energy I talked about that they created on higher dimensions to be able to create these balls of intense negativity and evil and darkness to use as thrusters, that should not exist. And so the work of these ungodly beings isn't just an abomination on the third dimension. 
It's an abomination on every single dimension. And whether we're doing it blindly or being guided, society is moving in that direction. And so it has to be said, we need to stop. Just because something can be done doesn't mean that it should be done. And those that serve the light on higher dimensions have made it very clear that they do not wish to see this technology being developed on the third dimension. So yes, this craft is fascinating, but the purpose for it must not be forgotten, and the ones who created it must not be forgotten. And they all are using these craft to come down here and to control you. They've been manipulating society for thousands of years. I do not believe it is a coincidence that we are now replicating or starting to learn how to replicate the technology that they have been using to enslave us all this time. Thank you for listening to this documentary. If you'd like to discover more, please visit thewaybackgroup.org.